It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down. Well, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavist, licensed nutritionist. And I appreciate you listening today. And, you know, if you are struggling with your weight and don't understand why you can't get your metabolism to work as it did when you were younger, you know, I think we have the answer for you. We have Gary Tobbs, the author of Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It. And he's joining us this morning from California. But before we bring Gary on, please welcome Cara Carper as our co-host Carr is a licensed nutritionist and sees clients at both our Wyzetta and St. Paul offices. And, of course, teaches many nutrition classes for businesses and community groups. In fact, Cara, you're scheduled to teach a much-requested class, Nutrition for Peak Performance, on April 19th. Yes, I am. And I know as an avid runner and workout fan, you'll not only bring to the class the current research, but your own personal experience on how to maintain peak performance while you're exercising. And um, so welcome to the show, Cara. Thank you. And I hope Gary, our guest, Gary Tobbs, is up early and hopefully his toddlers aren't. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they'll give him a, a break for a little bit here. Yes, exactly. Well, we are very pleased to introduce our guest today to the Dishing Up Nutrition listeners. All of us at Nutritional Weight and Wellness are huge fans of his work. Gary Tobbs is an acclaimed science writer, author of Good Calories, Bad Calories. Many of you have read that book. It was Actually, Carl, we had him on the show, didn't we? We did. Yep. Talking about Good Calories, Bad Calories. I believe it was 2008, Mm -hmm. right after the book came out. Yes. And that book was a New York Times bestseller. And now he has written an eye-opening and myth-busting book. And it's like Dar said, it's called Why We Get Fat. So welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, Gary. Good morning. Well, thanks, guys, for having oh, thank me. You. Thank thanks you. for getting up so early, although you may be up early anyway. <laughs> uh, not this early. Not this early, <laughs> not okay. This Saturday. Well, we really appreciate your willingness to be on our show. And you have such valuable information to share. So I'd just like to start off with some questions for you. And in your book, Why We Get Fat and What to Do About It, you explain that it's the processed carbohydrates and not fat that is leading a majority of the population into obesity. And you point out research that low-fat, high-carbohydrate eating to achieve weight loss and health is actually a myth. So could you tell us more about this? Okay, well, it's pretty surprisingly pretty simple. Um, You know, for the past 60 years, since the end of the Second World War, although not before then, um, we've been obsessed with this idea that obesity is all about, you know, energy balance, just taking in more calories than we expend. And prior to the Second World War, when all the best medical research, or actually the only meaningful medical research was in Europe, the Europeans had a different hypothesis, which is just that they just blamed obesity on, uh, you know, dysregulation of fat tissue. They said everything in the human body is, 
exquisitely well regulated by hormones and enzymes in the central nervous system and you know that obviously something's wrong when people get obese and it's not just that they lose willpower or their you know desire to exercise falls away something else goes awry and then unfortunately this european community didn't survive the war and their theory vanished with it but by the early 1960s uh, researchers had figured out exactly what it is that regulates our fat tissue and it's you know for all intents and purposes the hormone insulin and insulin is regulated for all intents and purposes by the carbohydrates we eat you know Gary we we teach that one in our classes all the time over and over but you know, I'm, I think it's great to hear it from another voice. So keep going. <laughs> this is what's well, funny. One of the things I keep saying in my book, you know, it's this, you put it, this myth-busting book, and I keep <laughs> saying nothing I'm saying is new. Nothing I'm <laughs> saying is new. It's all like 50-year-old science. Yes. Um, and, and people embraced it. But the people embraced it were, you know, what happened is uh, once you know, it was obvious that insulin was a problem and carbohydrates are what drives insulin secretion. You know, doctors with weight problems read the same, you know, papers I read, the same literature. And they said, well, well, let's see what happens if I don't eat carbohydrates, but I continue eating as many calories as I want. Yes. I just get rid of the carbs. Like the carbs are literally fattening, so I'm just not going to eat the foods that are fattening. And they lost weight, and then they tried it on their patients, and their patients lost weight effortlessly. So then they wrote books about it, and the books were big bestsellers. Mm-hmm. And the nutrition community responded, I mean, in part, you know, one of the problems when you cut carbs, you raise the fat content of the diet. Exactly. And these are high-fat diets, and the nutritionists were legitimately concerned that a high-fat diet would cause heart disease. And we could, I hope we'll talk about that. Yes, but there are also, you know, these like, and it's funny, primarily the Harvard School of Nutrition. And they didn't like the idea that doctors in Brooklyn or, you know, Manhattan, who just treat, all those people did were treat patients, dared to write books suggesting that their ideas about diet were important. And so they came down on these people with the proverbial ton of bricks. And by the mid to late 1970s, in order to get rid of this, uh, the, the diet doctors, and by that time it was Dr. Robert Atkins of the famous Atkins diet, they not only had to kill the messenger, they had to kill the message, and they had to, I'm going to mix my metaphors. This is what happens when you get me up at 6 in the morning. <laughs> we forgive you. They not only had to throw out the bathwater, which were the diet doctors writing books, <laughs> they had to throw out the baby, which was the science behind it. Yes. And so by the 1980s, as soon as you're telling people, look, you got fat because you ate too much, you got fat because you're too sedentary, you don't care about what regulates the fat tissue itself, and, which is crazy if you think about it. Here's this disorder of having all this excess fat, like the masses of the fat accumulating in your body, and your doctor doesn't care at all about the regulation of your fat tissue. And they just... You know, they had to get rid of all that because if you pay attention to that, you're telling people not to eat carbohydrates. Well, you know, I think one of the things, Gary, that I see a lot of times working with clients is that for some people, you know, basically to lose weight, all they have to do is cut out the junky carbohydrates or the junk food. Let's face it. They get rid of some of the chips and some of the muffins and their body loses weight. And then there are the other people that really have to cut those carbohydrates more. Um, and I, they, 
I think a lot of times they just wonder, what is wrong with my body that uh, doesn't cooperate? Why is it that I have to be so careful with our carbohydrates? In fact, Kara, we have a client, you have a client right mm-hmm. now that has lost, what, Nell has lost 90 pounds, isn't it? Yep, She. I know she's listening today, and she um, read the book the second it came out. She's <laughs> lost 90 pounds, and she just, she and I have been emailing, and she said, you know, Gary Tobbs, I mean, obviously, wh- what you're saying works, and it works for her. Whenever she has grains, she will gain weight. Right. So maybe... Maybe go. Can you kind of go into a deeper explanation of why, why for like Nell, if she eats any extra carbohydrates, well, what for her body? Any extra carbohydrates for her body, but another person can eat like Cara. You can you could eat those without gaining weight. I could eat limited carbohydrates. Okay, limited carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe just kind of explain why, what's going on in people's bodies. Well, basically, um, you know, I mean, it's one of the interesting observations that you're making here is that everyone is different, which, but the the, the way they're different is how they tolerate the carbohydrates in the diet. And one of the problems with the way our public health authorities approach this and the sort of traditional nutrition approach is they'll say, you know, fruit is good and whole grains are good and they're good for everyone and it doesn't matter. And the point is some people can eat those foods, can eat fruits and whole grains and stay lean, yep. and other people can't. And, again, it's all about how your body is, um, you know, response to the cause of uh, leaving sugars out of it for a second, although they're probably the, the, the most important factor. Um, you know, when when you eat carbs, you break them down into glucose. Your gut breaks them down into glucose, and the glucose uh, prompts insulin secretion in your, you know, your body. And then the insulin secretion, the insulin plays two roles. It, it well it plays a host of roles, but two important ones, which are to to get your, you know, your muscle cells to burn the the, the glucose, the blood sugar that's uh, rising because we don't want high blood sugar and then to get your fat tissue to store calories as fat while this is being done because we don't want to burn fat when we have all these carbohydrates to burn. Your body wants to burn carbs first, which the nutrition community has traditionally perceived as meaning that carbs are the preferred fuel. Mm -hmm. But actually carbs are the fuel that your body fears. It just wants to get rid of them quickly. And it will tell the body to store fat. So when insulin goes up, your body's storing calories as fat. And again, one of the things that's been known since the early 1960s is the fundamental thing you have to do to get fat out of your fat tissue and allow your muscle cells and your, your organs to burn it is lower insulin levels. Mm-hmm. So, and there are all these variables about how resistant your muscle cells are to insulin and how sensitive your fat cells are to insulin and how much insulin you're secreting in response to the carbs in the diet. And some people are just so sensitive to insulin or to the carbs themselves that, as you said, like this one, you know, client, they've got to get rid of the insulin, the carbs, almost entirely mm-hmm. to lose right. weight. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, I mean, it might be literally entirely. Um, but that still doesn't mean that it's not the carbs that made them fat because no other approach is going to work. I mean, they could try to That's semi-starve right. themselves and eat protein, but it's not going to work long term. 
because no organisms aren't built to semi-starve themselves for long periods of time. Right. Yeah. You know, Gary. Um, you know, I know that you were on Dr. Oz's TV show, and um, oh, Kari, you're telling me we have to take a Wait, break. It is time for a break. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm ask so I know you were going to ask about Dr. Oz, but yep. let's take a quick break. Okay. <laughs> and you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. If you are struggling with ideas on what to feed your kids, we have the perfect class for you. It's called Foods to Build Happy Focused Kids. Fun-loving Anna will be teaching that class this Monday in Wyzetta. And Angela, who is also a teacher with many kid tricks up her sleeve, will be teaching Foods to Build Happy Focused Kids Saturday, April 9th in Lakeville. It's only $25.00. And you'll walk away with a folder full of information and recipes designed for kids specifically. And also realistic ways to get your kids to eat better. So check out our website, weightandwellness.com, for times and directions. And please, please give us a call today. This is a great opportunity to ask Gary Taub some questions. And the studio is 651-641-1071. Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavitz, licensed nutritionist, and I'm here with Kara Carper, also a licensed nutritionist, and our very special guest, Gary Tobbs, and author of Why We Get Fat. And Gary, just before break, we were, I was starting to ask you a question because I saw you on Dr. Oz's show, and honestly, I thought you looked like a rock star. You were oh, thank you. very, <laughs> you look so healthy and young, and, um, and I thought you just handled an uncomfortable interview with poise and grace. I I really have, you know, I really admired how well you did that. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of it's how you eat because you again you eat low carbohydrate, don't you? You eat protein. Uh, yeah, and no, I do. I I tried this way of eating uh, about eleven years ago now as an experiment. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing a, a story. Two stories. I was doing a story. Yeah, I'm just a journalist. I was, I was writing an article for the journal Science about the, the science behind, I believe, that high-fat diets are dangerous. And I was also writing a story for the magazine Discover on the mathematics of the uh, stock market. And I got in a discussion about dietary fat with an economist at MIT. And he said to me, you have to try the Atkins diet if you're writing about dietary fat. He said, I have a colleague whose father lost 200 pounds on the diet, and I tried it, and I lost 40 pounds, and he's an Asian-American. He said, I basically gave up, you know, white rice. And you should try it just as an experiment because it will inform your understanding of the subject. Mm -hmm. And so I did, and it's sort of fascinating. And, you know, I lost weight effortlessly. I've been an athlete my whole life, um, but like many or most of us, have been putting on a couple pounds a year since my 30s, despite exercising an hour a day. I lived in Southern California, so they had the opportunity to do that. And uh, so you try to die, and the weight just drops off. It's kind of a surreal experience. Um, you know, after a lifetime of, of just thinking, well, this is fate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then I, I was, uh, you know, I just continued to write about it and do research uh, now with this understanding, but um, yeah, I, going on the Oz show was kind of surreal because I had done uh, I've done several uh, appearances with Oz over the years, and his attitude is always sort of uh, 
mildly bemused uh, skepticism without ever really having the time, without ever having the time to read either of my books. He says his <laughs> father has read them, well, but he hasn't. You know, I thought and we did Gary... a radio show a uh, month before. He has a satellite radio program where he was entirely open to everything I was saying. Oh, really? And then when I got on the air, he, the producers portrayed me as my, this persona my wife likes to call Meat Boy, <laughs> you know, the second coming of Atkins. And the <laughs> argument I keep making is it's just it's literally just about carbohydrates being fattening. It says, it says nothing about what else you eat. That's right. And, um, you know, you could be a vegetarian or a vegan, and if you know, um, remove the, 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 the fattening offenders from your diet, uh, what you know, the nutritionists would call high glycemic index carbs and sugars, you'll be healthier and lose weight. You don't have to add bacon and eggs and sausage and steak to every diet. So was there a question that Dr. Oz, did, you wanted to answer and you didn't get a chance to answer? Well, ironically, I actually so got often. a chance on the air to and When we taped the episode, it was the week before it aired, I got a chance to answer most, virtually everything, every question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they uh, uh, broadcast the show, the taping segment had run long, so they cut out all my answers from the last third of the show. So they leave me saying these sort of provocatively uh, statements that appear inane without support. I don't believe in cholesterol. I don't believe in LDL cholesterol. Um, and they cut out all the reasons why I make these statements. So as I told my wife, after, after I viewed it, I said, I, I, you know, they stacked the deck against me with all this meat stuff and the, the tub of lard in yes. front of mm-hmm. me. and. Um, you know, but I thought I did okay. I thought I got I gave myself a B plus. I thought for, you did you know, excellent. appearing on national television mm-hmm. with a guy who does it every day and is used to it. And um, well, the interest- and I wasn't going to watch the episode. I don't like watching myself on TV. <laughs> the interesting thing is, I thought that you looked healthier and younger and. I believe that you are probably a few years older than Doctor Oz. I'm about four years older. Yeah, I um. Well, my hair is. Gray, <laughs> so silver to be, you know, if I want to get the, but um, yeah, he doesn't, uh, he's he's not aging well. But no, um, he is not aging you well. know, if I had his, yes, um, I, they, I again, I have two young children in my fifties, so that's why I don't get sleep. But I don't see, you know, he does work two full time jobs, so I imagine it uh, it wears him out. Um, trying to be fair, which yes. is more than I could say he was to me. Yes. So but, um, let's ask you some more hard questions while we've got you here. Cara, you were going to yeah, ask us Yeah, well, something. we know that you, um, I mean, you wanted to talk about the piece about fat in relation to heart health. And, you know, a lot of people have the idea that dietary fat will cause heart disease that's deeply ingrained. Um, and I was wondering if you could just speak for a minute about the accurate, you know, what the research really shows with cholesterol and fat. Okay, well, that's, that's easy, because that's always been the kicker since the 1960s. Uh, sort of, so what if you lose weight effortlessly on these diets, if you get a heart attack um, and die, it's not going to make any difference. Dean Ornish has always liked to say, you know, you could lose weight on cigarettes and fen-fen and, you know, cocaine, too, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, on one level, that's just misconceived because, again, the argument is, and it's, you know, backed up by the the the, the 
biochemistry, the physiology of fat regulation, that carbohydrates literally make you fat. They're the reason why you're fat, so you just don't eat them. But you know, the question then, when you remove them, and if you have to remove them like your, your client does almost entirely, and you don't actually want to cut calories, because the idea is it's not about taking in too many calories, it's about these fattening carbs. So you replace them with mostly fat. You're, the diet gets, you know, the fat content of the diet increases significantly, while the protein content doesn't. We could talk about why that's best in a second. Okay. So now you're eating a high-fat diet, and if it's animal products, which is the, the easy, about the only way to really achieve a very high-fat diet or a high-fat diet, then you've got a lot of saturated fat, and isn't this going to kill us? And we've been taught that eggs and bacon, you know, see this phrase all the time, artery-clogging fats. And the, the point is, this was a theory, and it was a, a hypothesis in the 60s that was tested over and over again, and through the 70s, and, and um, they actually, the, the researchers couldn't actually show it was true. So, for instance, they do one study. There was a famous study in mental hospitals in Helsinki, Finland, that showed that if men reduce the, the saturated fat content of their diet and increase the polyunsaturated fat content, you know, they seem to live a little bit longer. And by a little bit longer, I mean a few weeks to a few months. Um, but women didn't. And then the, the same type of almost an identical study was done in Minnesota that was much bigger. And the Minnesota study found the opposite, that the men who ate less saturated fat and the, and the women who ate less saturated fat actually died sooner. Okay. And so what they did is they just didn't publish the Minnesota study. That study was published 16 years after it was completed. And in those 16 years, the U.S. Congress got involved and the USDA got involved, and then the National Institutes of Health decided they had a force the issue. And so without ever actually demonstrating that a reduced fat diet or a reduced saturated fat diet would was a beneficial thing, by 1984 they were telling us all to do it. And then they continued to do some studies. Like the largest study ever done was this Women's Health Initiative. It probably cost half a billion dollars where the 20,000 women were, were randomized to eat a low-fat diet, high in fruits, vegetables, you know, skinless chicken breasts, whole grains, and another 29,000 were followed to eat their, their regular diet. And they followed these women for seven and a half years, and the diet had no effect on heart disease, cancer, diabetes. And even though the women at least said they were eating less on this diet, 300 calories a day less, they didn't even lose any weight. Mm -hmm. So... You know, and when people do what are called meta-analyses or systematic reviews of the data where they look at all the, the studies and they decide which ones were done well, and they look at those studies and how great an effect you get from reducing the saturated fat in the diet, what they found is there's no beneficial effect at all. And this is just, well, and I'll tell you about one other type of study. The final, beginning around 2001, researchers actually started testing you know, Atkins-like diets. So what they would do is they would take 50 or 100 or in the largest study, you know, 300 uh, men or men and women or women alone, and they'd randomize them again, you know, randomly say, you go on an American Heart Association low-fat, low-calorie diet, and you, you go on a, a, you know, Atkins diet where you're eating as much food as you want, just don't eat carbs. And when they go on this Atkins diet or Atkins-like diets, they're eating a high-fat, high-saturated-fat diet, 
And what they found out in effectively every study is now over a dozen of them, or they're coming out a dozen a year. They're, just, they're now doing them more and more. What they find out is the people who go on this Atkins diet, which we always taught is the killer with all the artery-clogging saturated fats, not only do they lose weight, even though they're not restricting calories, their heart disease risk profiles actually get better than the people doing what the American Heart Association is telling us to do. So all the data support this. And we could also talk about metabolic syndrome mm -hmm. if we want. But even without getting into this metabolic syndrome issue, you know, we're living the, 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 the public health recommendations and kind of the, the conventional wisdom about high-fat diets all date to the 1970s. And it just hasn't held up since then. The science hasn't supported it at all. Well, thank you for sharing. We do need to take another quick break, but I really appreciate you summarizing the research for people. And also, Garrett, when we come back, Cara, um, you know, you talked about, uh, let's continue that discussion a little bit on cholesterol, how a higher fat diet affects the cholesterol, because I think that's another one that people are always going to want to mm -hmm. know. So, sorry to interrupt you, Cara. No, that's fine. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and, you know, as we've already mentioned several times today, one of the reasons that people gain weight, actually one of the main reasons, is eating too many carbohydrates. It's just so easy to consume those carbohydrates. So let's just take a look at a typical box lunch. You know, if your company is bringing in lunch for a meeting and you were to get a six-inch sub sandwich, a small bag of chips, and a cookie... Um, you know, so a lot of people think of that as a fairly healthy meal. Mm -hmm. That is almost 100 grams of carbohydrates. Um, that's converting into about 23, 24 teaspoons of sugar. So sounds like carbohydrate loading to me. Now, today, if you have questions, please give us a call, 651-641-1071. If you're like me, you try to eat right, but the definition of healthy eating seems like a moving target. Should I eat low-carb or low-fat? Do eggs and butter raise my cholesterol? Is coffee good after all? Don't rely on sound bites and infomercials for something as important as your health. You deserve recommendations based on biochemistry. Nutritional Weight and Wellness is offering My Talk 1071 listeners a complimentary e-newsletter that is chock full of nutrition information and tips. The Weight and Wellness Way newsletter provides sound information and practical strategies from a nutritionist's perspective. Learn a natural approach to healthy eating based on real whole foods you buy at the grocery store. All this and best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the complimentary Weight and Wellness Way e-newsletter, go to weightandwellness.com and enter your email address. Then watch your inbox every month for nutrition news and special offers that will help you look and feel your best. For information on other services at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, call 651-699-3438. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you've gained weight over this long, cold winter, we have the perfect solution, the Nutrition for Weight Loss program. Learn how to eat real food, real protein, real fat, and real carbohydrates that will keep you full and make it possible to, for you to smile when you step on the scale. Nutrition for Weight Loss is the new science of weight loss. You know, questions about um, the today, if you have questions about Nutrition for Weight Loss, you can call our office at 651-699-3438. You know, we have classes starting in St. Paul, Wyzetta, Lakeville, North Oaks, and they all start the week of April 11th. 
So think of this. By July 4th, your swimsuit will fit again. So, you know, Gary Tobbs is our special guest today. He's the author of Good Calories, Bad Calories, a great book. We've all read it. And why, and his latest book is Why We Get Fat. And um, again, a great book. And so, Cara, are we going to take callers? Or? Yeah, let's just take a couple callers. Hopefully they have questions for Gary. Welcome to the show, the show Joan. Do you have a question today? Um, yes, I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, I have. Uh, thank you for writing your books, Doctor or Mr. Tom's They're wonderful. Um, but I have three quick questions. Um, one is the uh, my trainers keep telling me that I need to have carbohydrates before I exercise and after I exercise so that I can replenish my carbohydrate stores or my glycogen stores in my <clears throat> in my muscles. Um, the second question is, and I'd like you to address that, and then the second question is how nuts fit into the diet. I didn't really see a lot of that in your books. And then finally, um, you know, you're a scientist and doctors are scientists, and I'm wondering when will doctors start to follow the science? <laughs> there, Gary, you answer questions. <laughs> Gary? Gary? Well, I don't know. I hope we haven't lost Gary. Looks like uh, we did for a second. I think okay. the producer's getting him back on the line. Okay. Hold tight, Joan. <laughs> yes. We, those are great questions, Joan. So hopefully we can get him back on the line here to answer those. And Gary's back. Oh, okay. good. So. Uh, yeah, I'm back. Hi, oh. guys. Hi, Gary. Were you able to, were you on the line when Joan asked her questions? No, no. I think I was. Okay. I was Cut off for Joe. <laughs> I'm. I apologize. I think, and Joan now is is off the air, um, oh. but I can try to summarize her. She had three quick questions for you, okay. and her first question was, you know, her personal trainer is telling her to eat carbohydrates before and after her workout to um, replace lost glycogen stores. Um, she also wanted to know what your stance was on nuts. And then she wanted to know when doctors were going to start following the science. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer that one, but any help you can give Joan would be great. So. Um, the uh, Okay, well, first, I, I am not an ex, uh, expert on exercise physiology. Um, I actually had a trainer who used to tell me that I, you, I mean, I, I do trust the science that the carbohydrates you consume and I think it's a 30 minutes after workout, go to replacing glycogen stores. So they're kind of free carbs in the diet. Um, you know, the, one of the points, there's also a, a, a pretty uh, compelling research that uh, for all but the most, uh, you know, professional endurance athletes, they can, uh, their workouts won't suffer once they adopt to diets without carbohydrates. But... Um, you know, the key here is everybody's body is different, and that's the answer with nuts also. So nuts are kind of the, the snack of choice for, for uh, people who eat carbohydrate-restricted diets and people who, you know, follow what they would call the paleo, paleolithic lifestyle, mm-hmm. trying to eat the foods we evolved to eat. And for most of us, they're fine. But if you're trying, you know, if you give up carbs in an effort to lose weight and continue to eat nuts, and you're not losing weight, you're not losing it as fast as you'd like, then the obvious thing to try is to get rid of the nuts and see what happens. The same goes with dairy products, although, you know, milk is uh, lactose and milk is a carbohydrate, 
and stimulates insulin secretion. So most uh, this is doctors who prescribe carb-restricted diets for weight loss don't like dairy products. But, you know, there's just all these items like the fruit and the diet that are uh, many of us can tolerate, but many of us can't. And it's a kind of thing where at least once you understand what's happening in your body, that's why I wrote this book, so people can understand literally why they get fat to begin with. And then they can determine for themselves whether or not their bodies can tolerate for instance, the carbohydrates and nuts. Okay. And I forget what the third question was. Well, the third quest- question, she said, you know, Gary, you're a scientist, and oh, right. when will doctors start following the science? Actually, I'm a science journalist. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the amusing things, while we were talking, I actually got an email from a fellow who invited me to, to give a seminar at the Tufts, uh, uh, Department of, Tufts University Department of Nutrition and in, in, uh uh, Boston, which I did last Wednesday, and I had asked him for feedback. And the thing is, the, the feedback I got from the Tufts nutritionists, who, of course, I'm telling them they're all wrong, and the feedback was that I'm very good when I'm only acting as a science journalist, but uh, as soon as I start doing science, I lose credibility. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, of course, the arguments I'm making in the book is that if the uh, obesity research in the nutrition community had been doing good science for the past 50 years. A journalist wouldn't have to come along and do it for them. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how long it's going to take to listen. <laughs> On one hand, there's enormous institutions that have been built up that are dedicated a, to, to, well, to selling us the kind of carbohydrates that are fattening, and then the government has backed this with like the USDA Food Guide Pyramid and everybody, you know, the whole idea that it's all about calories, that it's all about we should all eat low-fat diets, has spread so widely and so integrated itself into our culture so much that, you know, sometimes I think it could take a lifetime, if at all, to affect a real change. And the problem with, you know, doctors following what we're saying here is that, you know, if you go into the doctor and you're 50 pounds overweight and he tells you to eat less and exercise more and, mm-hmm. and cut the fat in your diet and eat more, uh, you know, whole grains and fruits and you leave and you have a heart attack two weeks later, nobody's to blame. You know, the idea is you would have had that heart attack anyway, you were doomed, and maybe if you had seen the doctor for that advice five years earlier, you could have been saved. If you go into the doctor and he puts you on a low-carb diet, which goes against the, the, the precepts of the American Heart Association and, and the, 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 you know, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Guide Pyramid, and he tells you to eat less carbs and more you know, animal products or have you know, bacon and eggs for breakfast, and you have the same heart attack two weeks later, now your family sues him for malpractice. Right. Um, yes. Because he hasn't followed, he hasn't done what, he's, what, the, what the professional organizations say are the best procedures. So there's this fundamental... Um, block to, to, to physicians embracing these ideas. And I actually know physicians who eat the way I eat personally but won't prescribe it to their patients, both because they don't want to risk, you know, legal uh, problems, but also because they don't, you know, they don't feel they have the right to tell their patients to do something that they think might indeed be risky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are all kinds of obstacles that have to get over. And in, in my book, like any book like this, there's a disclaimer saying, you know, this is not meant to be medical advice. Do this under the, you know, see a doctor. But then I, in the author's note in the beginning, I say, you know, give this book to your doctor. 
because your doctor should understand what I'm saying so they can decide for themselves how best to treat patients. And some of the best feedback I've gotten have been from physicians. I mean, it was, you know, say things like one, one doctor in Arizona said, finally I could treat my patients again. I could actually make a difference in their health, which he couldn't do for the last 30 years. Right. So, Gary, I know we have to take another break, but, but one of the things that I would like to come back, because Joan had a very interesting question, is that her trainer, and I know and I know who Joan is, and I know that she works out a lot, and her trainer is telling her, and she has is very carbo, carbohydrate-sensitive person, very carbohydrate-sensitive person, and her trainer is saying to eat more carbohydrates before she works out and to eat more carbohydrates after. And I think what she's kind of questioning, is that the right advice? And I know you just quoted some research, but will you kind of pull that together as we take a quick break and then we'll come back to that. Does that sound okay, Car? Yep, that's that sounds great to me. I just can't believe how fast this show is, is going. And now, for most people today to lose weight, they have to be aware of all the hidden carbohydrates. Um, did you realize that a fast food meal of a burger, a medium fry, and a medium soda has 130 grams of carbohydrates? That's 32 and a half teaspoons of sugar. So if you're wanting to lose weight, that's certainly too many carbs. And stick with us. We'll be right back after break. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. So before we went on break, a car gave an example of something that would be high carb. So let's look at some real foods to the rescue. In place of the fast food meal with 130 grams of carbs, you know, replace it with a steak, half a cup of tomatoes, and two cups of mixed greens, and a half an avocado, and you'll be eating 16 grams of carbohydrates. Uh, you know, we would call this a weight loss meal and an anti-inflammatory meal, actually. So before we went on break, we, you know, I posed the question, Gary, to you that about, you know, adding more carbohydrates before workout and after to someone that has extensive carbohydrate sensitivity. Yeah, I guess if what you say, if they're significantly overweight, um then I think it's a mistake. I wouldn't understand why a trainer would be, uh, and again, you know, caveat, this is coming from a journalist. Yes. But if someone's problem is that they're 50, 100 pounds overweight and the trainer is concerned with their glycogen stores while they're working out, that's a little crazy to me. You know, what you want want the person to do is be as lean as they could be, and the best way to do that is to keep the carbs out of the diet, whether it's before or after exercise. Okay. I just, that, that's what I would 100% agree mm-hmm. with. So, so Carl, we, should we take a caller? Or? Yep, and I just want to say to the callers holding, I apologize. I know we're not going to get to all of you. We'll try to get to at least one more. Um, feel free to call our office, 651-699-3438, if we do not get to your call. Let's see here. Sorry, I'm just trying to get the right line. Here we have a few lines going. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Do you have a question for us today? Yes, I do. Um, I, over the past uh, three years, I've lost about about 190 pounds doing kind of a modified Atkins low-carb diet. Okay, great. Um, yes, it, it changed my life. And about three months into my this new lifestyle, I read uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories, and it just opened my eyes. 
it was a life changer for me. And thank you, Gary, for that. <clears throat> My question is that you talked earlier about I'm at a kind of a stalemate. I've put on about 40 pounds over the past six months and eating the same intake of carbs about 20 grams a day. I feel like I'm not losing. I'm kind of at a stop. And you talked earlier about being people being more sensitive to carbs and wondering if you even mentioned about completely cutting carbs. And is that a good idea to do that? And to just wondered if you could speak about that. Um, okay. The, uh, you know, it's difficult. There are people out there, like there's a new, you know, uh, who, who, who describe themselves as zero carb. Mm-hmm. Who you know basically live exclusively on on animal products, um, and uh, the, you know, they they seem to do quite well. And again, just you know, sort of from an evolutionarily an evolution uh, an evolutionary perspective, and um, even from studies that have been done in the past, you know, you could definitely you could do this. It's not you're not going to get scurvy. You're not going to get vitamin deficiencies. But um, you know, one of the things I suggest in the book is that you look for other possible uh, items in the diet that might be stimulating insulin secretion even though they're not carbohydrates um you know if you're eating uh, uh sort of uh, too much lean protein and not enough fatty protein because protein we we secrete insulin in response to the protein in our diet yeah so that's the reason why these diets really should be high fat because the idea is you want to minimize the insulin secretion, which minimizes fat accumulation, dairy products, even the the high fat or heavy uh, heavy cream, can stimulate insulin secretion. Okay. So you could look for other items of the diet also that might be problematic, like the nuts, for instance, or nut butters. Um, and but the question is, you know, how extreme are you willing to go uh, in order to get rid of the you know, the remaining weight? And um, it's funny, I always wanted to try zero carbohydrates also as an experiment, but I just I don't want to subject my wife and family to that level of uh, extreme diet. That would be meat boy for sure. <laughs> that would be meat boy for sure. Yeah. So that was, that's a great question. And, you know, thank you for calling in today. Wonderful question. And I think a lot of people, you know, it, it could be just that you, it, you know, things that we would look at is maybe you're not sleeping enough. I mean, there's so many different factors that affect your insulin level that, you know, so even if just being under a lot of stress will make a difference. So, but Carl, we had one other question before we run out of time. Well, you know, we just want to get back to the cholesterol or the, the fat and the heart, the myth of fat causing heart disease topic. And, Gary, if you could just talk a little bit more about how that specifically affects cholesterol, you know, not necessarily overall heart disease. How does fat um, affect cholesterol? That, are we talking total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol? Yeah, well, anything you, you know, want to talk I, about. It's, I, we know that it's more important to know the, the breakdown. And, and yeah, so okay, I, well, prefer... I mean, the obvious thing is, yeah, the medical community would be concerned with this idea that a high-saturated fat diet um, raises LDL cholesterol, which is, you know, we call the bad cholesterol. And that, again, is, uh, you know, 30 years old science. This is Gary Taubes now talking as a science journalist, not as a doctor. That's an idea that dates from the 1970s, and it's backed by this idea that statin drugs, cholesterol-reducing drugs, lower LDL cholesterol, and they improve heart disease uh, 
Yeah, they seem prevent uh, heart heart attacks is certainly in in men who are at high risk of heart disease. So the problem is, like I said, it's old science. And if you follow that science into the 21st century, what you find is the best uh, uh, predictors of heart disease is not the cholesterol in the LDL particle, which is what we mean by LDL cholesterol. It's this LDL particle itself, this low-density lipoprotein. And when this LDL particle is small and dense, it tends to promote heart disease. It's what the researchers call atherogenic. It promotes atherosclerosis, which is what we're trying to prevent. When the LDL is large and fluffy, and fluffy is almost the technical term, it's harmless. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't do anything bad at all. And what the researchers have showed is that when you eat a high saturated fat, low carbohydrate diet, your LDL profile, as it's called, goes from being small and dense to large and fluffy. So your actual total LDL cholesterol can go up when this happens, mm-hmm. but it happens because your LDL goes from being something that causes heart disease to being something that doesn't. So what appears to be a bad thing by 1970s science is actually a good thing by 2011 science. And this is a point I can't make strongly enough. If you actually use the best predictors of risk and you take your you know, carb-rich breakfast of like dried cereal and skim milk and banana and replace it with scrambled, an egg, scrambled eggs and bacon, all your risk, all your predictors of risk will get better. So your HDL, the good cholesterol, goes up, and your triglycerides, which are a risk factor for heart disease, go down, and your insulin levels go down, and your LDL um, particles go from being small and dense to large and fluffy, and everything improves when you do exactly the opposite of what we've been told to do. (laughs) Gary, thank you so much for being on the show. You're a great guest. We appreciate it so much. And pick up his book. Why We Get Fat by Gary Tobbs. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.